Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today our topic is uh, books that take place in France. And this is something that we started several years ago when we were doing our kind of first round. We did traveling from your from your own house kind of thing um, and doing some book tourism. I think that might have even been the last episode we or one of the very last episodes we did before we went on hiatus was Southeast Asia. Hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I remember that episode. Yeah, so episode. that was fun. I like this idea. I like sort of I like talking about books that take you to a different place and concentrating it on grouping the grouping the books together to be all yeah. in one place. I think that's super fun. Um, so have you ever been to France, Anne? No. No? <laughs> no. I know a lot about it. Like, uh, I was I was a British studies uh, major in college, which was a made-up thing I, I uh, created to graduate. <laughs> and I hadn't been to the UK ever, but I could tell people places to go and <laughs> lots of things about the history. And... Uh, it wasn't until about five years ago that I finally went, and France is kind of the same thing, where I, I studied it a ton in college and know lots and lots and lots about its history, but have mm. never been. But I did once see the Eiffel Tower from the air, so does that Ooh, count? neat. That sort of counts. Sort of. You flew over it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, neat. the clouds parted for a second. That's very neat. Yeah. How about you? Have you been? I have been. I have been... Three times, I believe. I'm Ooh. sorry, I'm counting in my head. Four, four. I've been four. Oh my times. gosh, you fancy pants! Uh, well, but I it's they were all kind of clumped together. I had the opportunity when I was in high school to go with a teacher and a small group of students. I think there were just six of us one summer for a couple of weeks, and we traveled to a few different cities. We stayed with a host family for a few days. And so that was a really great experience. That's and then so cool. my sisters, I know it was, it was cool. And then, and I mean, how lucky was I that I got to do that? And then my sister studied abroad in France. So one spring break, my other sister and I went to visit her and, and did, now I can't remember where she was, but we definitely went to Paris and we went to wherever she was studying. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm forgetting... Maybe it's only three times. I would definitely, and then I went after college. When I did, a friend and I traveled around Europe, and I went, I went. So yeah, I guess it's just three times. I was thinking it was four, but it's um. So yeah, so they were all before I was twenty-five. Wow. <laughs> so it's been a long time because I am much older than twenty-five now. Uh, <laughs> so they were all like, like I said, they were just all kind of grouped together there. They had the opportunity to go, um, and and did it a few times and at the time I was taking I took French all through middle school high school and a couple of semesters in college so oh my gosh I uh I never could speak it very well I wouldn't say I never I never really mastered the accent things like that but I could read it read it pretty well I mean I could read a whole novel in French and really mm -hmm, and understand it yeah that was just it was by the time I was a senior in high school I had I had studied it for, I guess, six years at that point. So wow. it was an AP French class. So it was basically like a college level class. And so we were we were reading stuff in, in French. So I, I, I always was better with the with the written word than the yeah. spoken word. And I was, I would say, adequate at understanding if somebody spoke to me in French. But 
if you're when you're in France, you feel like everybody's speaking very quickly, and yeah, so that that was yeah. at times hard to hard to pick out. Yeah, there's such a huge difference yeah. of, of language yeah. learning right. courses yeah. and actually being in a yeah. place. So yeah, but um, but writing and reading, I was I was okay with that. So, but yeah, I love France. I, I would love really cool. I would love to go back because um, it's been so long since I've been there. In fact, a couple of years ago, I or yeah, I guess it was almost two years ago now. I had the opportunity to go to London. My sister had some a work thing in London, and so I met her over there, and we talked about going to Paris for the weekend instead of staying in London. And um, we just ultimately decided that it seemed like too much and crammed into a short period of time. But I was yeah. very excited at that prospect. I, and I love London too, but I just, I was, I was very excited at the prospect of going to Paris. I just thought that would be awesome. So hopefully soon I'll get back there, but the food's amazing yeah. and there's so many wonderful sights to see. And people were generally really friendly when I was there. I know the French get a bad reputation for not being very welcoming to, to Americans, but I always, no, I never witnessed that. And so I think part of it is like they say, if you try to speak French, they, they'll immediately switch to English because basically probably hurts their ears to hear you (laughs) but I think they appreciate that you are trying and so they they tend to be pretty pretty pleasant about it but yeah so I'd love to go um but in the meantime I can just read books about it yeah oh that's so cool it's it's funny because we're good friends but I never do that about you so that's that's exciting to yeah long before you and I met that was some opportunities that I had to go there yeah, that's really cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and actually, before we dive in, if you don't mind, I'm just talking about traveling. I'm just going to give a little update that I was in Philadelphia this past weekend Ooh, for yes. the ALA Midwinter Conference, where the committee that I've spoken about a few times met for two days and we discussed all of the nominated books and we came up with our recommendations across the eight different genres that we cover and came up with our. It, it's technically the best, but we all said we would rather it be like our favorite or something like yeah. that. Because to say something is one single title is the best, just that's against sort of librarian's nature. Because right, there's right. such a sense of every book it's reader and all that stuff. But anyway, so you, we we chose a best book in each category and then a short list of four additional books. So if you don't mind putting the link in the show notes and if anybody's curious, they can go and check yeah, that out. Course. There's lots of good reading in there. I think we have a really nice selection of different different ways of of reading all the different genres. So like in the science fiction category, we had a couple of time travel books, but they approach time travel very differently. We had lots of um, diverse romances and we just it was, it was I think it's a really good really good list and we worked really hard at it it's a it was a really wonderful group of people who were excited and open-minded and really interested in hearing other people's perspectives on what we were reading and talking about and voting on so that was that was just lovely to see and experience that people nobody was territorial nobody was like well this is my nomination and i am sticking to it no matter what anybody else says it felt very much like people wanted to just have a good list of books to recommend to librarians and readers to say these are what we consider the best of the genre in 2019 so um so it was fun it was it was uh, a little bit exhausting it's you're literally in a (laughs) conference room from eight o'clock in the morning till we ended up going till six o'clock each night 
So it's a full day of sitting in a room and talking about books, but at the same time, it's so much fun to be with other lovers of reading who just are just as passionate about it as you and I are. And um, it was great. So now that I came home yesterday, and then now as of today, we start a whole new year, <laughs> whole new year of reading. And like I think I mentioned either in the last episode or maybe a few episodes ago, I'm going to be the vice chair this year, which is considered the book getter. So I am the one who contacts publishers and asks them to consider some um, sending books to the committee members for us to read and consider. So uh, that's my role this year is to do that. And then next year I'll be the chair of the committee. That's very cool. Yeah, so it was a good time. I am continued to be jealous, but also <laughs> grateful that I'm not on the committee, but also yeah. jealous because yeah. it sounds like so much fun. It is so much fun. In fact, on, I guess, Friday night or Saturday night, I can't remember, but after either one day of discussion or two days of discussion, I thought to myself, like, you know, I probably could have walked away from it after this year and been satisfied. I just felt like... It was a really good experience. I, I enjoyed it so much, but I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have regretted saying, no, I'm not going to stick with it, but, yeah. um, but I'm very happy to be continuing on and I'm happy to be taking on more of a leadership role and stuff. But, um, but yeah, it was funny because I, last year I didn't have that sense at all. I was very eager to dive right back in and get, get to the next year and start thinking about nominations and all that stuff. And this year I thought, no, I think I probably could, I could just have let that be the end of it, at least for now. I could have gone yeah. back later, but, and part of it too is, um, not to make this too much about me, but um, I just uh, am buying a house as well um, that we went under contract for last week. So it's a lot going on there. So it just feels like the, with the timing of that, I could have said, all right, I'm done and been been okay with it. Cause I would have had so many other things going on at work right. and in my personal life that I would have in, not noticed the absence of reading for the reading list but yeah um but i'll be i'll be fine i'll be able to manage and i'm excited to be still a part of it especially with such a good group of people anyway very cool yeah so there's there were no there was no arm wrestling no arm wrestling uh, to decide no yelling no throwing of anything yeah no no it was all very well that's not how i imagined it we did have to do it somebody brought homemade caramels for us oh my gosh yeah (laughs) I know. I'm telling you, librarians are the best people ever. <laughs> All right. Well, and several books you've talked about were were uh, yes. the top picks, yeah. which is very cool. Yeah, I think I was... the one I talked about in the last episode that I was reading that week was The Passengers, I think. Yeah. And that one for our adrenaline category. And yeah, there are a few sprinkled throughout that uh, listeners will probably recognize as, as having spoken about, which is no surprise considering... I am reading for this purpose. Right, right. <laughs> it's not super surprising that stuff I would have talked about on the podcast will also make it on the list. But um, All right, well, why don't we go ahead and start talking about our books that are going to transport us to France, even though we can't, we can't jump on an airplane and fly there. Okay. Um, my first book is Paris Letters by Janice McLeod. And I think I've talked about this before many years ago, but... Um, but it's one of my kind of surprise favorites of um, the advanced copies I've ever received where I, I didn't I didn't have a lot of expectations going into it and I've thought about it so many times since I read it so I'm, I'm eager to talk about it again so 
Um, this time I picked it because it centers on the dream of France that so many people have, and ex it explains exactly what it took to make that dream happen for the author. And that seems to be really kind of particular to France to me, that, that people just have this, like maybe France and Italy are the two most mm -hmm. coveted countries um, that people dream of moving away to and, and kind of picking up everything and, and or abandoning everything, I guess, and, and starting life anew there. So, um, so I like that she, she does it and she tells you how she did it in this book. So um, she starts out the book uh, describing her life as a copy editor or a copywriter at an advertising agency in LA. And she's just doing fine in her life. She, there's nothing really wrong with it, but she has a conversation with a coworker about how they both feel that their lives are stagnant. And so she starts to wonder how much money it would take to travel for a year. And they, I think in the conversation, they sort of, um, that's both of their, their eventual dreams to, to be able to just take off for, for a certain amount of time. And so when she kind of puts that dream into words, then she starts to fixate it and she calculates an actual amount and she decides she's going to quit her job once she's saved up that amount and she'll travel to several countries to stay for a couple of months at a time. And the first one will be France. And so what I really like about this book is that it's not an overnight process that takes several months of saving and systematically selling off her possessions to earn the money to, to do this trip. And I think that so many books uh, about the expat life assume a pretty unreasonable amount of wealth. And um, it just isn't really feasible for most people to do what, um, you know, the eat, pray, love lifestyle uh, that is described in that book, um, which it's still valid to do that, but but I just don't think many people are in that position. So um, Janice McLeod is, is still obviously in a very privileged position to be able to make her dream come true, but she has to work a lot for it mm -hmm. and it, it isn't immediate that it happens. So almost immediately when she gets to Paris, she meets a butcher who she uh, describes as a Daniel Craig lookalike and he turns out to be Polish. And since he doesn't speak English and she doesn't speak French, they begin this very awkward but sweet relationship. And of course, then she extends her time in France um, that was supposed to be, I think, three months. She extends it indefinitely because um, she has fallen in love and she realizes that if she wants to stay there for the rest of her life, she's going to need to make money um, to, to sustain herself. So she has this background as an artist and she starts to write illustrated letters about living in Paris and, and she sells them on, on Etsy. And some examples are included in the book and they're just so beautiful and charming. And I think from the last time I checked, she's still doing this, which makes me really happy that she's been able to, um, however long I read this book, probably five years ago at least, um, the time before that, she's she's been able to make a living from doing this. And um, because of that, this book has really stuck with me for years because it's more about how she decided that she wasn't satisfied with her, with her life and that she wanted to change it. And she gives very concrete ideas on what the reader can do to save money to travel. So at the back, she even includes a list of 100 ways to save money. And 
over my adult life, this has given me a lot to think about when I consider whether I'm satisfied or not um, in my current situation. And it reminds me that while there are many things that are out of my control, most things are things that I can change if I'm willing to put in the effort. So besides sort of that that feel-good message, there are dreamy descriptions of Paris that allow for both the fantasy of living in France along with the realities, but it has this happy, happily ever after that um, continues to make me smile, and that is Paris Letters by Janice McLeod. That sounds amazing. I have a couple of I, college friends who have individually, I mean separately, um, decided to travel around the world for a year and so they've quit their jobs and sold their houses and just travel for a year which i think is amazing i live vicariously through their instagram posts yeah (laughs) so my first one is the girl who reads on the metro by christine ferre fleury and this is i i think it's a bestseller internationally it just got translated for Uh, in English last year in 2019 but I think that it was pretty popular in France before it ever even came here so it's this very slim little book and it almost reminded me of a fable or a fairy tale because of the tone of it sort of like did you ever see the movie Amelie oh it's my favorite movie is it really favorite movie I didn't know that yeah so it reminded me a little bit of that we're learning so much about each other this time (laughs) I know who knew (laughs) Um, so yeah so it reminds me a little bit of sort of the whimsical nature of that of that movie and the way it's focused on Amelie's adventures and stuff like that sort of same this has the same quality to it so it's about a woman named Juliet and she rides the metro in Paris and she always finds herself drawn to watching the people who are reading books And she likes to imagine what their lives are like. And she just spends a lot of time kind of wondering about them, looking at the books they're reading and forecasting in her mind what that means about them. And and she just gets very wrapped up in sort of paying attention to people who are reading on the Metro. And then one day she stumbles on a used bookstore that's run by a man named Soliman, I think is Solomon. I'm not sure how you say it, but he is the owner of this used bookstore. And he asks her to be one of these special book runners that he technically I guess he employs them but he doesn't pay them (laughs) but there's other like volunteers (laughs) and the idea is it's this mission that he has this grand vision of matching people to their perfect book so he enlists people to help him carry out this mission so he that their the intention is that they will take a book and then find its perfect reader so he he enlists Juliet to do this and in in the meantime as she's she's trying to do this they also just become really good friends and sort of almost like business partners like she's going to she's more involved in the business than just doing this but what she realizes is she's not really certain that she's a good fit for that particular job of finding books that are going to fit a reader so she wants to find her own way to fulfill this this vision and this mission at the same time as she's sifting through all of those feelings in her head he has to leave very suddenly and he he doesn't really give any explanation and he just tells her I need to leave you need to watch the store and you need to watch my daughter (laughs) you need to take care of my daughter for me and I am leaving so that's basically the whole plot I mean some stuff happens after he leaves and 
and as she figures out how to handle having the bookstore and stuff. But it's like I said, it's a pretty slim book. So the plot is relatively spare. Like there's not that much to it, but it's just got so much atmosphere about being in Paris. And then they travel a little bit throughout the book. And so it just is such a sense of the culture and the almost just the attitude of being in France, if that makes sense. Like I was reading it feeling like this book was not written by an American. The way, just the way the story plays out and the way they talk about things, I was like, it's so clearly not from an American perspective, which I loved because it felt like something different and unique for me. So that is The Girl Who Reads on the Metro by Christine Ferret Fleury. I am sold. (laughs) You'll have to let me know if you like it. Okay. I'm sure I will. Okay, my next book is Nana by Emile Zola, and this is one of my favorite books that I read in college, and it was part of my 19th century Paris obsession that started when I saw the movie Moulin Rouge. Oh, I love that movie. (laughs) I love that movie so much, but I didn't expect to love it, and it, it was because I... I just got curious about what was real and what and excuse me and what wasn't that I started to research Paris in the 19th century and it completely changed the course of my studies in college. I I went off on this I don't even remember what I was trying to do before that, but I I uh, just got very obsessed with lots of different topics that I could uh, nerd out on <laughs> for a while, um, and so. This, this was a book that I read, I think, in a, an art history class that I took about about French art in the 19th century. And I love classes that have you read, th- that are not literature classes, that have you read literature mm, to sort yeah, of me too. express. It's just so much fun to me. So, um, so this book is written in 1880, but it is set in the late 1860s. And it's part of a 20-book series called Le Rougon Macquart, which... I don't speak French, so <laughs> apologies. Um, and it's about a family that is living in uh, France in the mid-19th century. And there are some really famous books from the series, including The Lady's Paradise, which is the inspiration for the BBC series, The Paradise, that mm. um, aired a few years ago. So um, there, I think, are a few more that are pretty famous, but it's kind of hard to remember if they're famous, if if they're actually famous, or if I just think they're famous because I've learned a lot about them you know how that's i am currently hard. looking at the list on goodreads and i would say i know germinal uh read yeah that. yeah and la bete humaine i don't know how mm-hmm. you say that i would say that one yeah i would say a handful are but i wouldn't say all of them are famous yeah definitely yeah. not all of them and so they're meant to be sort of standalone but then it's this it's called a cycle where it it um they all sort of lead into each other mm-hmm. but they're they're not it's not a true series and in, in that you have to read them in order so um so this one is the only one that i've read actually from from that series so um the the main character nana is a prostitute and she is introduced in an earlier book where she is on the streets but when we uh read about her in this book she's risen in the world to be singing the lead in an operetta but she doesn't have any musical talent so she just is entrancing the audience with her presence and she really knows how to manipulate men's emotions and um she just has that that certain something that makes a star so she is this huge success and from there she becomes a high-class courtesan and she 
is financially supported by several wealthy men and is the toast of Paris and everyone wants to go to her parties. So over the course of the novel, she destroys all the men who are supporting her and who are obsessed with her. And so she financially ruins several of them and she causes another to stab himself with scissors, which is not how I would choose to go. And then I don't remember this happening, but when I was when I was researching this to remind myself all the plot points, apparently one burns himself alive. That seems drastic to me. I would say. Yeah. But she she causes this, this all to happen with her vibrant personality, but it's like it's like a personality that is a a bad version of of what you want to have with your vibrancy. She's she's destructive and all-consuming to everyone who knows her. So that's that's kind of the plot there's there's more that happens but that would be all spoiler kinds Mm -hmm. of things so i won't say anything more but i love this because it's a microscope on a period that i find so fascinating and to to nerd out a little bit basically the paris that we know now was created in the mid-19th century by an official made uh baron ausman Mm -hmm. and he rebuilt the city. He destroyed the medieval city and he rebuilt it with wide boulevards and parks and squares and it really altered what it meant to live in a city and it allowed for the development of Impressionism as an art movement and I'm just really obsessed with all of this so um, it's it's kind of fun to revisit uh, books like this and, and remind me of you know when you're in college and you're learning about things for the very first time and it sort of blows your mind that there's there are all these things that you like the the whole world you're learning about that, that you, your existence was so small before that and suddenly you're like oh there's so much to know about the world like this book really reminds me of that feeling and i i just adore uh reliving that so this book kind of when i say it's a microscope on a time period that's there's a literary movement called naturalism that is meant to try to represent a particular moment in detail and i think that this book does just a a incredible job of that because I really feel like I'm in that world and um, actually when I was researching the book again I found that you can take Nana walking tours because the locations that are mentioned in the book um, still exist and there's so much detail given in the book that that you can kind of create that that world again um, if you're visiting Paris which I I think is super cool and I would definitely do if I uh, or whenever I get there so um I also learned reading up about this book that in French, the word nana is still used as a slightly rude word for a woman. Mm. So it, um, it, I guess it's like the equivalent of calling someone abroad. So it's, it still has this, this really strong cultural significance that um, I just would not have known about, which is really cool. Um, and I, I, I just love it. I can't think of a better book to represent what I think of when I imagine Paris. And that is Nana by Emile Zola. Neat. I like books that have made an impact on your earlier life and that you could yeah, still totally. sort of pinpoint how that makes you feel. Yeah. So my next one is Age of Light by Whitney Scherer. And this is historical fiction. It's a biographical novel, which I, I love biographical novels so much where it takes yes. a real person and then kind of imagines their thoughts and conversations and relationships. I just can't get enough of those. So this is about a woman who I have never heard of before. But as soon as I read the book, I started doing some Googling to figure to find out how much of this was real. And, and she 
well, I'm about to tell you a little bit more about her, but she she was a photographer during World War II, um, but she started as a model. And so uh, I was looking for photos of her as a model and then her own photographs when she was a World War II photographer. So I was just fascinated that this person existed that I have never heard of before. And maybe that's just a blind spot. Maybe lots of other people know about her, but I had not heard about her. Um, so her, like I said, I think I said, her name is Lee Miller and she was this uh, model who in the 20s I believe trying to think like 20s early 30s goes to Paris and meets Man Ray who was a very famous photographer and he asks her to pose for him and she is immediately enthralled by him by the prospect of being his model it's just she feels like this is her her step to like this whole new world that he's going to open up to her. And so he has a girlfriend when they first meet, but there's this very clear spark between them that they don't resist for very long before they (laughs) are becoming romantically involved as well as professionally involved. And they just become completely entwined in each other's lives. So they're working together and they're having this romantic relationship. And so it's a very fiery kind of relationship as a lot of creative personalities tend to be. There's a lot of emotions running high throughout their relationship. And Lee looks to Man as as a mentor, but she is also very talented in her own right and realizes after spending time with him and and working on her photography and having him mentor her that he's not really taking her very seriously and his group of friends aren't either so the people that are kind of in his social and professional circles are are not taking her seriously even though she does have a lot of talent and then I don't think it's really a spoiler because this is I don't know that's a fine line I guess but because it's it's true uh, I think it's okay to say that it's at one point he actually takes credit for her work and uh, he does like an exhibition or something and includes some of her photographs, but they're under his name. And and it, it makes her very, very angry. So this whole book is framed as that it's in 1966. So years passed when they had this relationship. And an editor asks her to write about her time in Paris when she had this interaction in this relationship with him. So it's all her looking back. And so this reminded me a lot of the Paula McLean books about Hemingway. Have you read those? One is Love and Ruin. Can't think of what the first one was called. Right. And the, I want to, it's not the Paris wife, but I want to. It is the Paris wife. Paris wife. It is the Paris wife. Is it? It's the Paris wife. Yes. Why did I think that was by someone else? I'm pretty sure that it's the Paris wife by Paula McLean. Anyway, it reminds me of those books. Because I believe you. It's sort of about the, the, the man who is, got a temper and kind of very oh gosh I don't know how to describe this like a very big highs big lows kind of thing you know like he is not a particularly stable influence and the women who fall in love with him basically Um, and so these little peeks into real people's lives and a very particular time and a place um, I thought was just fascinating and it, it brings to life Paris and the art scene and uh, the people who were in it in, in a really delightful way. So that is Age of Light by Whitney Scharr or Scherer. I'm not sure. That sounds really fun. Um, are we talking about all Paris books? No, my next one is actually a series that some of them don't take place in Paris. 
Okay. Yeah. I was going to feel bad for the rest of France, but... <laughs> Because my next book is a Paris book as well. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. (laughs) My last book, um, it actually is very similar to what you just described of a of someone who is an artist who is uh, whose work is um, co-opted by a man, (laughs) and the book is called The Provocative Colette by Annie Gutzinger, and um, I can't remember. I read this, I think it came out in the U.S. earlier this this year, or last year, and it's a translation um, of a a French graphic novel, and I I can't remember, and I I couldn't find the information um, fast enough before we recorded whether this was released in tandem with the movie that came out, or if it was... Uh, if the movie was based on this book, I, they came out at almost exactly the same time in the U.S. And so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how it played out, but I read this first and then I went to see the movie, which was a fun, a fun back-to-back experience. So um, like I said, it's a graphic novel and it is about Colette, who was the French author who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1948. And this book is about her, I guess her early life, but that's, that's just touched on a little bit, but really her rise as an author. So she was born in 1873. Um, her real name was Sidonie Gabrielle Colette, and she was born in rural France. And then she married a family friend who was a famous journalist named, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Henri Gautier Villard. And he, I, can't, I think he was like an arts um an arts journalist, I, I want to say, and he published under the name Willie. And he introduced her after they married into the intellectual circles in Paris, and she really blossomed in this world. She was at first very timid, but then um, really found her footing there. And she began to write a series of autobiographical stories about a young girl named Claudine, and Willie published them under his name. And he, f- from my understanding, he sort of forced her to write these these books. And they were very scandalous, and they have uh, very overt lesbian undertones to to the entire story, and they caused this huge sensation when they were published. And so people dressed like Claudine, and they made Claudine perfume, and they had Claudine songs, and it was just this cultural phenomenon, which which is, I don't really think of pop culture phenomenons in uh, the... 1900s so or early 1900s so it's fun to think about as she became more famous colette moved deeper into avant-garde circles and she realizes that willie has been unfaithful to her and so she begins to explore her own sexuality with both men and women and she has a long relationship with a noble woman whose name i I cannot do at all so i'm not going to try but her nickname was missy and she dressed as a man and i i think um in those circles, that was that was kind of fashionable, from my understanding. But um, I don't think she would be called you would call her transgendered because she didn't identify as male. But maybe if she were alive today, that would be a different um, situation. So, but they they were openly in a relationship together, um, and that seemed to be okay in in the circles they moved in until they uh, performed a theatrical piece together at the Moulin Rouge and she they caused a near riot when she and Missy kissed during a play so I think everything was okay until it was that public so um, Colette worked as a mime and and really was involved in the theater world but she also was writing at the same time and she 
went on to write her most famous work, Gigi, which is uh, the basis for a movie that is mm-hmm. very famous as well. And she's just known now as being this uh, very free woman for the early 20th century. And she rejected the expectations that a woman um, w- should have um, or that, that men expected from women. And she refused to accept her husband's bad behavior. And she really set her own course on her own terms. And, and it's just, it's whether you agree with the choices she made or not, it's it's very interesting to read about someone who who is uh, bucking expectations during that time period. So I've said before that I'm not the hugest fan of, of graphic novels, but I absolutely adore this one because the illustrations are just so beautiful and so dreamy and they're all sort of Art Nouveau inspired and they uh, use pastels and it's really clear to understand the narrative from these pictures. But I would uh, warn that it's not a graphic novel for younger readers at all. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of graphic uh, or adult content. I don't remember it being particularly graphic, but it's definitely adult. Um, So be uh, forewarned of that. Um, But it, it really represents Paris as many people imagine it, it, Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of a lot of our collection, a lot of our collective visions of Paris come from this period, um, kind of along with the ideas of a sexually liberated French population. Right. Um, it, it sort of seems to to spring from this era, and the author captures that really perfectly. And that is the provocative Colette by. Uh, let me find the author's name again. Annie Gutzinger. And was did you like the movie? Yeah, I did. It was it was uh, visually stunning. And um, all lots of, lots of good actors in it. Oh. I never see in movies anymore. Okay, uh, sadly, <laughs> you have your own self to blame for that. I know, I know. All right, so my last or the reading one is, list. <laughs> yeah, I can blame the reading list for sure. Okay, my last one is actually a series. Like I said, it's not a, a single title. It's the Amore Chocolat series by Laura Florend. Florend. Um, it, the first one in the series is Chocolate Thief, and I sound like a broken record, but I'm just going to say it again. This is one of those typical romance series where side characters, secondary or tertiary characters from some books make appearances as main characters in later books. So you don't have to read them in order. It's satisfying if you have read the earlier books and then you see the little cameos of people that pop up, but it's not necessary by any means. So they mostly these all take place in Paris, but at least two of them that I remember are set in other areas of France. So we are giving we are giving some love to other places <laughs> other than just Paris. Um, and they all, I think all of them revolve around food of some sort, and especially Ooh. chocolate. So you have tell me more. I know. So you have main characters who are chefs or chocolate chocolatiers or bakers and a lot of the story involves food so almost as much as the romance I would say or or the food is is somehow sometimes like drives the romance or is is an aspect of the romance so it's they're very intertwined um and in something having to do with the food influences how the romance unfolds so sometimes it's the protagonists are both chefs that are sort of have in an anti- antagonistic relationship and then find out that they love each other, things like that. But food, food plays a very, very large role. And the way the food is described is do not read these if you are hungry because you will just gobble up everything in your house. Like the food is just described <laughs> so lovingly and 
it's just lush. Like there's something about the way that she writes about chocolate in particular, but food in general that you can you can smell it and taste it. And it's it's a very kind of sensuous reading experience. And I mean that in the truest form of like it engages your senses. It's just very um, you feel like you're sitting in a cafe or a bakery or uh, at a fine dining restaurant in in France and eating this wonderful food and surrounded by people who are speaking French. And a lot of the main characters, uh, one half of the couple will be an American and then the other half will be French. I don't think in all of the books that's the case, but um, the majority, I would say that's the case. And it's, it's again, they're related. They're like interconnected. So the main, it would be like sisters or cousins or that are the main characters. So they're, those are all Americans. And then they meet these, these Frenchmen. Um, but so by doing that, I really feel like those are our proxy as, as an American reading these. I feel like the outsider coming to a new place and learning a new culture and learning a language and all of that stuff makes it feel for the reader like you are experiencing those things firsthand. Um, so I just love these. I read these a few years ago and and all at once, like I would read one and then try to go read something else. And I think, no, I really just want to be reading that other series again some more. <laughs> um, and so I just read them all in a big bunch, uh, which is not typically how I read things like this. I usually like to mix up my reading and get some variety. But um, I just I thought they were they were great. They were they're light, they're romances. So they're they're not going to tax your brain very much, but they're very absorbing. So it's just pure escapist reading. Uh, and that is Amore Chocolat, and it's by Laura Florand. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I've never heard of that series. That's that's really cool. I think they may have been either self-published or by an indie press, maybe. They were not widely distributed. But oh, okay. I learned that Laura Florand, the author, lives in Durham, where I live, and <gasps> teaches at Duke. Really? Yeah, she teaches. Um, oh, no, I can't remember what it said. She doesn't teach. I don't think she teaches literature. I think she teaches. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll look it up and, and share. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And she has That's traveled. Really cool. her, it's, this is based on her own experience. She lived in France for a while. She had traveled quite extensively when she was younger. And she lived in France and met a Frenchman and fell in love with him. And now, I Aww. believe, is married to him. So so this is all based in her own experiences. All right. Well, well I want to read all of I them. I know. They're great. I, they might be a little sexy for you. <laughs> <laughs> they might be a little too much. I'll just read the food much. descriptions. Yeah, they might be a bit too much for you, I'm afraid. All right, we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. All right, so Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, I actually, on my way home, like two seconds before I pulled in, finished my book. Okay. So this is, this is not what I'm currently reading, but what I just read. And it is You Were Not Alone by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. And it's actually an advanced copy. Um, I got an audio advanced copy, which I really love. And I wish um, publishers would do it all the time because I think they're really fun. And it comes out on March 3rd. And um, so not too not too far in the distance. I actually haven't read The Wife Between Us, but I did read and read An Anonymous Girl. That's the second yeah, one, right? Yeah, I, I really yeah. liked I really liked The Wife Between Us. I liked The Anonymous Girl very much, too, but I really liked it. I just remember being stunned at how much I liked The Wife Between Us. 
yeah, I've heard such amazing things about it. And I, I, I liked it. I liked an, that's hard to say an anonymous girl, <laughs> but I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. And I liked this one quite a bit better, but it has um, very much the same format of, of a dual narrative suspense and kind of the same plot in a lot of ways where it's someone who is uh, kind of an every, every girl versus very polished women. Um, which which was very much the case in, in an anonymous girl and the case also in this book. So the every girl is Shay Miller and she's in her early thirties and lives in New York and she's has a fine life, but it's kind of lackluster. So she's she's kind of the girl you pass by every day and you never notice. And there's nothing about her physically that stands out and she doesn't really have um, a personality that you know, grabs people completely. So she's been recently laid off and she doesn't have a serious boyfriend um, and hasn't since college, but she does have a crush on her roommate, but his girlfriend is always around and she's kind of passive aggressively nice to, to Shay. So she just is sort of existing. She doesn't really have a great life. So one Sunday she is trying to get out of her apartment to avoid the girlfriend and she uh, leaves and goes down into the subway and she's standing on the platform when a woman at the other end starts to move close to the edge and um, Shay sees this happening but she isn't really alarmed and then suddenly there's a train pulling in and she realizes what the woman is doing and she rushes to stop her, but it's too late. And the, the woman throws herself in front of this, this subway train. Um, and it's really traumatizing as a, of course, any of us would be traumatized by that. So she can't, she's kind of in a daze after, um, after this happens. And in the aftermath, she picks up a necklace from the platform and she um, just kind of pockets it. And she, just she's she's fixated on it and she also she's fixated on the death and she can't go down into the subway for weeks and so sort of to help her um sort out these feelings she tries to learn more about the victim to help her come to to help Shay herself come to terms with the death and she learns that the woman's name was Amanda and that she was a nurse at a hospital and she um Shay decides to leave flowers at her apartment and goes to the visitation and while she's there she meets two sisters named Cassandra and Jane Moore who are just stunning women they they look like models and they're perfectly dressed and they're very poised and they seem to be everything that Shay is not and for some reason they're both very taken by Shay and so she doesn't want to admit why she's there so she lies and says that she knew Amanda a bit from their uh, a mutual vet's office which the sisters know is a lie and they have something going on with them um they're there's something about the necklace that they know about and they also have this group of women that they consider to be a sisterhood and Amanda was a part of it but something had gone wrong in the group in the days before Amanda's death and so the sisters know that Shay has this necklace but they don't know what she knows and they're going to pull her into their life to find out what um what is going on and so um that's pretty early all in the book there's that's like the first few chapters so there's a lot more that's going to happen um as this very tangled web uh is is teased out so i i think it's really fun uh, to read about 
kind of aspirational relationships. Um, I know we've talked before on the podcast that we both really like to read books about wealthy New Yorkers because it's fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I think that because of, of the social media obsession that everyone has, we all have a wealth aspiration that um, is kind of um, elevated from definitely, you know, when I was in college and when I was a kid, it's, it's just very, um, we're, we're very, very aware of, of how people present themselves. And so it's really fun to read about, but it's also fun to think about sort of the darker turns that 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 can take. So I think that most readers will relate to Shay and her dreams of becoming more like the sisters, the more sisters. Um, But there's um, this this dark psychological twist that make this sort of a smarter take than the chiclet that would hit all the same notes of of aspirational New York living. So I think it was really fun. I I was uh, really satisfied by the ending. And so I'm I'm giving this my my recommendation and that is you are not alone by greer hendrix and sarah peckin i'm so excited to read that like i said i I've, i really enjoyed the other books they've read they just fill a very specific place in my reading world that i think that yeah just, i love those those kinds of books yeah they're definitely doing there's a lot of subpar psychological yeah. suspense out yeah, there they're and they're doing well. quality yeah they're yeah doing it really well yeah and i do definitely for one listen to the audiobook and they were fabulous on audio all that suspense. and I wonder if I had done uh, an, an anonymous girl on audio if I would have enjoyed oh, it more possibly yeah possibly I don't know I mean it's definitely like a three-star read for me it just it just wasn't my so I feel like my favorite I have I am more forgiving of audiobooks than I am for print books and we I think yeah. you and I have talked about this before because when I am listening to audiobooks it's at times that I wouldn't be sitting down and reading a print book. So it doesn't feel like a waste of time. Whereas if it's a print book that I'm reading and I feel like I'm not totally into it, it, I just think of all the other books I could be reading or the other things that I could be doing, you know, it feels like a a portion of my life that I am not, that I'm devoting to this activity. Whereas audiobooks I'm listening to when I'm driving, when I'm walking the dogs, when I'm getting ready in the morning, things like that. So it's all time that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be reading. And so I am more forgiving of, of, or or I'm more willing to stick with a book that is, is on like the three star range of things than when I am reading a book. When I'm reading a book like that, it feels like, okay, how quickly can I, and not the three star books are bad by any means, but it's just sort of like, okay, I'm going, I I like this. It's good, but I'm ready to move on to the next thing too. Whereas audiobooks, I'm happy to just sit there and let it kind of wash over me. Yeah. So, but also the narrator plays a part too. So sometimes there are books that I know that I would enjoy in print, but I'm not enjoying in audio. So there's, there's definitely a, a very strong give and take. And absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, I also um, am reading a suspense novel um, called Mr. Nobody by Catherine Stedman. And I think it just came out a couple of weeks ago. I think it came out at the beginning of January. Uh, I am only about a quarter of the way into it, maybe a third of the way in. So I can't tell you if it's a satisfying ending or not, but I can tell you a little (laughs) bit about where I am right now. So this is by the same author who wrote Something in the Water, which came out, I think, about two years ago. It was pretty popular. Uh, It was... My memory is that it was a Reese Witherspoon 
book club pick when that was sort of just gaining a lot of traction. Um, And it was, I think it was over the summer. And so it was like a very popular kind of beach read. This one looks as far as, as I can tell, 30% in uh, to be a very similarly kind of bonkers book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and, in the best way, I say that with love. Um, It's about a man who washes up on the beach in a small English town and he has no memory of who he is. And when he first washes ashore, he he's, he can't speak either, or seemingly can't speak. So he is taken to the hospital, and a woman named Emma is a neuropsychiatrist in London. And from her introductory chapter, it seems like she works very hard. She maybe doesn't have much of a social life, uh, and and is very very flattered to be called into work with this man. He's gaining a lot of national attention because nobody knows who he is and it seems like a pretty unusual case that somebody truly would have amnesia in this way that and and not be able to speak. So she's called in to come work with him and see if they can figure out what's wrong with him. And this is all happening in an area near where Emma grew up and it's clear they're dropping hints that something happened to Emma when she was a teenager that was pretty terrible and that potentially caused her to leave and go to London or at the very least it has prevented her from coming back um, and and she has changed her name since then so she sort of doesn't want anybody to recognize her so they're just as I said they're dropping these clues as we go along that about what happened, but I have not gotten yet to the part where it is described. However, um, when the Mr. Nobody of the title meets her, this man with amnesia, he has he has started talking a little bit, and he calls her by her name, not not Emma, not her current name, but her name that she was given at birth. So he clearly knows her, but because he has amnesia, he doesn't know how he knows her, and she doesn't recognize him. So. That's about as far as I am so far. It's very suspenseful. It is certainly making That's creepy. I know. It's certainly making me want to find out what happens next. <laughs> um, I'm expecting lots of twists and turns, such as sort of the way these books go now. You, you're not, you know, it's sort of um, clouded as to what happened in the past. You don't know who this guy is. You don't know if Emma's telling the truth, kind of thing. So I, I love these kind of books. I am all in. I can't wait to find out what happens. So that's called Mr. Nobody by Katherine Stedman. <laughs> and do you want to go back and list off all the books you talked about? Yep. Um, I talked about Paris Letters by Janice McLeod, Nana by Emile Zola, The Provocative Colette by Annie Gutzinger, and what I'm reading this week is You Are Not Alone by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. Okay, and I talked about The Girl Who Reads on the Metro by Christine Ferre Fleury, The Age of Light, or I'm sorry, it's just Age of Light by Whitney Scharer, or Scherer, The Amore Chocolat series by Laura Florand. And what I was reading this week, or what I am reading this week, is Mr. Nobody by Katherine Stedman. Uh, So if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can give us feedback or a suggestion or ask a question or whatever. Um, You can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. 
Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode and all episodes. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for taking this little trip to France with us, or really just Paris. And uh, <laughs> happy reading! <laughs>